Can you see the difference? Shakespeare was a great author and wrote many great books the world over. But it doesn't compare with the Bible. Because Shakespeare is dead writing. The Bible is alive writing. Two Sundays ago, we talked about our wonderful God. We started a little mini-series on our wonderful God and getting to know our wonderful God. And we pointed out three simple truths about God and the ramifications those three truths have in our lives. One is that God is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That means to die and go to hell, but have everlasting life. Number two, we learned God was holy. The uh, special classification of the angels in heaven in Isaiah chapter 6, they cried, holy, holy, holy. God is a thrice holy God. We learned also that God is a savior. That is very important. God is a savior because we need saving. Every man, woman, and young person needs to be born again. Last Sunday, we talked again about God our wonderful God, as our Creator. Our world today is permeated with evolution. You, you can't grow up without coming face to face with it somewhere. The schools are full of it. The universities teach it and it only. Last Sunday we dealt with God being the Creator. Now there's only so much you can get into a 40-minute sermon. But if you, if you weren't here last Sunday, I encourage you to go online to our website, click on the media and recent sermons and watch that one or listen to it as a podcast because we deal with a lot of practical things. Evolution is bankrupt, folks. God is the creator. You and I, we did not evolve. We were created. God is the creator. That was last Sunday. Today, we're going to go another step. We're going to look at our wonderful God as an author, an author. Now, just in a minute, I'm going to pray and we'll get into the real message. But before I do, I want to throw a few introductory comments your way. A quote from the Guinness Book of World Records dated 2015. And I'm going to read the quote for you. Although it is impossible to obtain exact figures, there is little doubt that the Bible is the world's best-selling and most widely distributed book. A survey by the Bible Society concluded that around 2.5 billion copies were printed between 1815 and 1975. But more recent estimates put the number at more than 5 billion copies of the Bible. The entire Bible has been translated into 349 languages. However, 2,123 languages have at least one book of the Bible in their language. Wikipedia estimates that the number of copies of the Koran, for example, to be 800 million. Now that's a lot. 800 million copies of the Koran. The Book of Mormon, which is the key book of the religious cult, the Mormons, the Book of Mormon is estimated to be around 190 million copies. There are other, many other religious books that number in the multiple millions, but it's clear the Bible excels all other religious books ever printed. 
Did you know that the very first book ever printed on the very first printing press that used reusable type invented by Gutenberg, it was a Bible. That was the very first book ever printed on such a printing press. Printing presses have since produced billions, capital B, copies of the Bible. The famous atheist of the 1700s, his name was Voltaire. He was a prolific author and printer as well. In 1778, he wrote that it took 12 men to start Christianity, but one, referring to himself, would destroy it. Fourteen years before he said that, in 1764, he said these words, The Bible is what fools have written, what imbeciles commend, what rogues teach, and young children are made to learn by heart. Voltaire boasted, that his own books of philosophy would one day replace the Bible. Now, ironically, years after his death, the Geneva Bible Society purchased Voltaire's home and then used Voltaire's own printing press in order to print Bibles. Yes, the Bible is an amazing book. Why? Because the author is none other than Almighty God. God wrote the Bible... And we're going to show you why we believe that today. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Bible. Without that book, where would we be? Without a book of instruction, without a book telling us up from down and right from left, Lord, it, it would be mayhem. Absolutely. Every man, woman, and young person would simply do that which was right in their own eyes. We'd have no standard, no, no source we could go to to find out if something is good or bad, let alone right or wrong. Father, thank you for this wonderful book. And as we will learn today, its author is God. Our Heavenly Father, possibly there's someone here today who doesn't understand that the Bible was written by God. Please open the eyes of their understanding. Perhaps there's someone watching online right now who has doubts if the Bible really is what it says to be. Lord, clear up those doubts for them. Show them the, the amazing truth about the Word of God. And bless us in Jesus' name as we do. Amen. Well, the Bible, as you may or may not know, consists of 66 individual books from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible, listen to this, the Bible was penned over a period of 1,400 years by over 40 different human writers, most of whom never even met each other. They didn't even know each other. Most all other religious books have been put together by one person. One person wrote that book. One other person wrote this book. One person wrote that book. Sometimes what they'll do is they'll take the writings of a few people and put them together. But you won't have anything like what you have in the Bible. The precision, the unity, it's incredible how the Bible, beginning in Genesis right through to Revelation, talks about this coming wonderful Savior, again by men who didn't live in the same century. The only possible answer is there must have been a supernatural, unseen, invisible hand guiding each of the 40 authors as they wrote. And that hand was the hand of God. The Bible could only be written by God. There is so many evidences. We don't have time 
If we took all day, we don't have time to put them all before you. But I do want to put a few of them before you. But many people do not believe that God wrote the Bible. Why is that, you say? Because they say the only proof we have that the Bible is written by God is that the Bible itself says it's written by God. You see, that testimony is no good. That's like someone saying, well, this is true because I'm telling you it's true. Now, folks, if you were, ever went to a court of law, you know that they would call forth witnesses to the stand. And a witness would come and stand and pledge an oath that they're going to tell the truth, and they would tell what they believe to be true. Now, is that acceptable in a court of law? Yes or no? Yes, it is. And that's what we would want. The Bible tells us that it is written by God. What's wrong with that testimony? God is just telling us the truth. Whether people choose to believe it or not, that's up to them. In a court of law, yes, a witness will stand and affirm something is true, and we all agree there's nothing wrong with that. But the court is going to want more evidence, if possible. The court is going to want as much evidence as what will remove reasonable doubt. When reasonable doubt has been removed, then they can arrive at, at a decision. Okay? Well, is there any more reasonable proof? I mean, what have we got here in, in, in Timothy? Well, that's the evidence of one man, the Apostle Paul, who wrote, wrote Timothy. I suggest to you there, there is a lot of proof. Now, with your Bible open, let's take a look at the first witness in 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is called to the stand. The Apostle Paul's character is beyond reproach. He was not a thief or a liar. He wasn't a drunkard or an extortioner. He had a, a solid, rock-solid uh, testimony of being an upstanding, honest person. He suffered for it. But there was no evidence against him. Nothing that anyone could bring up that would prove that he was a dishonorable man. He was an honorable man. And what he said here in chapter two, uh, number 3 and verse 16, he said, all Scripture, not some, all Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, he says. Basically, God wrote the Bible. That's what Paul is saying here. He's called to the witness stand and Paul is saying, God wrote the Bible. Thank you, Paul. You may step down. Are there any other witnesses? In fact, Your Honor, there are plenty. But for time restrictions, we'll call only two others. We're going to call the Apostle Peter to the stand. For this, I'd like you to turn to the right, close to the end of the Bible, but stop at 2 Peter, chapter number 1. 2 Peter, chapter number 1. Now, the Apostle Peter uses another term in his testimony, and he calls it prophecy. In fact, he refers to a prophecy of the Scripture in verse 20. And then he says, I want you to see this in verse 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Now, he's talking about the Scriptures. 
The scriptures were not written at any time by the will of man. No one got up one morning and says, well, today I think I'm going to write the book of Deuteronomy. No one ever did that. It says, they came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God. These are not rogues or criminals or liars or thieves or drunkards or adulterers. These are holy men of God, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God told them what to say. That's the testimony of Peter. He claims God wrote the Bible. Are there any other witnesses? And yes, we'll call one more. We needn't turn there, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We've already established last week and the week before, Jesus Christ is none other but God in the flesh. His name was Jesus. And Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 said these words, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth forth out of the mouth of God. And so here we have God being an author because he wrote the Bible. That's what the Bible basically is, is God's words in print. Now, if God wrote the Bible, we'd sure hope that he'd tell us so. We sure expect that he would tell us that he wrote it. But you know, again, giving a little elbow room, anyone could make that claim. Uh, our, our Mormon friends claim that uh, it was the angel Morani that dictated what was on the golden plates to Joseph Smith, who then wrote them all down. Again, you have a book written by one man, Joseph Smith. And it's hailed. The Book of Mormon, 190 million copies printed and distributed around the world. You can go on, um, what is it, Craigslist, and you'll see little advertisements there for a free copy of the Book of Mormon. Yeah, if you want it. <laughs> I've got it and I've read it. I'd rather the Bible, thank you. The Bible is so much better. Um, is there no more evidence that God wrote the Bible? Yes, Your Honor, there is plenty of evidence. And again, because of time restriction, I'm going to lay out two infallible proofs for you today that God is the author of the Bible. And so, let's begin by examining the Bible itself, shall we? What makes the Bible different from any other book in print? What makes it different? Well, the first irrefutable proof, the first powerful evidence, is that the Bible is a living book. It is alive. You heard me right. The Bible is alive. It's alive. You went to school. You had textbooks on every subject under the sun. They're all dead books, aren't they? They're dead books. The Bible is different. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible is alive in the sense that it'll jump up and walk across the floor. That'd be pretty creepy if we saw that. But the Bible is alive nonetheless. Now, we've already read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Very quickly, let's take a look at that. What is Scripture? The word Scripture means writings. That's what the word Scripture means, writings. Uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration. What does that word mean? It means breathed out. To breathe or to, to breathe out. So all the Bible, all Scripture is given by a breath. It's breathed out. It goes on to say all Scripture is given by inspiration 
of God, not man, of God. God breathed out the scriptures. This Bible has been known as God's breathed out book. He breathed life into the Bible. Listen, we know the breath of God has life. We know that. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, when God created Adam, it says, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of, anybody know what? Life. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Life is in the breath of God. And God breathed life into Adam. It says, and man became a living soul. And so life is in the breath of God. In the book of Job, chapter 33 and verse 4, it says, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. In Psalm 33, verse 6, it says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them, by the breath of His mouth. And again in Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 5, Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones. Now, you remember the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel chapter 37? You've got to read that. If you've never read it, you're doing yourself a disservice. You're, hey, if you expect to be in heaven one day, you're going to meet Ezekiel. He's going to ask you, what did you think of the dry bones? So you're getting fair warning to read up before you meet Ezekiel chapter 37. But you'll, you'll read this phenomenal story about the valley of dry bones, but they were just bones and how that the flesh had to come upon them. But bottom line is that it was dead, all these dead bodies. And so in chapter 37, verse 5, Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I say all that to say this, there is life in the breath of God. And what is the Bible? God breathed. This is how we know it's a living book. Because God breathed life into it. If God wrote the Bible, then we would expect that there'd be some kind of force, life, power with the Bible. We'd expect that. This may be hard for someone to understand, but the Bible is actually a living book. Now, for example, how many here have ever read any of Shakespeare's writings? Raise your hand if you've ever read any Shakespeare. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Okay, so maybe we have as many as 25 or 30 that have read some writings by Shakespeare. I'm going to use Shakespeare as an example but all of Shakespeare's books and plays and poems and so on. By the way, I am one of my little, on my bucket list, my bucket list is to completely read through Shakespeare. I'm hoping my bucket's going to hang around for a little while longer. It, it's hard to sometimes, you know, get through Shakespeare. I'm, I'm, I'm a good ways in, but I, I still have a ways to go to finish reading all of Shakespeare. Some, some men and women have done it. They've read it through, maybe read it through a couple of times. I'm working on my first. But I'm telling you, all of Shakespeare's writings are dead. Dead in comparison with the scriptures. Everything Shakespeare ever wrote, and he wrote some amazing things. He was a very witty fellow, and he had a way with words. But 
It's dead. Everything he put together, it basically is a dead cadaver. And we're looking at it on a table, essentially. There's no life in the writings of Shakespeare. So then if the Bible has life breathed into it by God, what sort of life or what does this life look like? And that's what I want to put before you today as evidence. The Bible is alive. This is a powerful, irrefutable evidence. Number one, the Bible speaks to our hearts. You know something? Before I became a born-again Christian, back in 1974, almost 48 years ago, come to think of it, I started reading the Bible for the first time in my life. I hadn't a clue what it was talking about. I didn't understand anything. I was reading a King James Bible too, by the way. I didn't understand what I was reading, but it felt good in my heart. Something in my heart warmed up. There was something about that book, and I didn't have the answer. I wasn't even born-again Christian, but I knew there was something different. I felt good in my heart. So I kept on reading the Bible. And by the way, if you're here today, and the Bible is just kind of all confusing to you, read it. It feels good. Keep reading it. The answer will come. And the answer came for me a few months later. But my point is this. The Bible speaks to our hearts. And again, I'll use Shakespeare as I illustrate this. But those of you, those 25 of you who raised your hand there a moment ago, you've read some of Shakespeare. Maybe you've read more than I have. But have the writings of Shakespeare ever spoken to your heart? Have the writings of Shakespeare ever felt like that still small voice in your heart? And yet, so many people, millions of people, myself included, have read the Bible and we could almost hear the still small voice of God. There's a difference between reading Shakespeare and reading the Word of God. There is a difference because there's life. Number two, the Bible comforts our hearts. Have the writings of Shakespeare ever strengthened any of you who raised your hands a moment ago? Have the writings of Shakespeare ever strengthened you when you were going through a bereavement or going through a difficult time in life? Oh, life is so hard. Please hand me a copy of Shakespeare. Is that what you did? Were you comforted? Did the writings and words of Shakespeare bring great comfort to your heart going through times of trial and struggle and testing? And yet, there are countless people who have found incredible comfort by reading Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Can you see the difference? Shakespeare was a great author and wrote many great books the world over. But it doesn't compare with the Bible. Because Shakespeare is dead writing. The Bible is alive writing. Shakespeare can't comfort your heart going through trial and, and, and testing. Listen, during the World War, some of those soldiers out on the battlefield dug into a foxhole with bombs exploding around them and bullets whizzing over their head. And they knew that death was imminent any moment. What did they do? Reach in their pocket and take out a, a copy of Shakespeare and start reading? No. But if they had a copy of Psalm 23, they started reading. You see what the Bible will do. It's alive, I tell you. 
Number three, the Bible warns us. Now this one is really interesting. The Bible warns us of certain sins and mistakes and and judgments that God brings upon these things. Tell me, you who raised your hand earlier, have the writings of Shakespeare ever given you a warning that the hand of God was against lust and against greed? Have the writings of Shakespeare ever given you fair warning that God is against laziness? I don't know of anyone. And yet, the Bible warns us repeatedly about the effects of sin and Some people refuse to read the Bible because it makes them feel uncomfortable. You know why that is? Because the Bible is alive. A story I heard many years ago about a a missionary. I forget where he was, but there was a tribe of, of people he was trying to reach with the gospel. And he went to the chief of the tribe and gave him a copy of the scriptures. The chief took it. And within a week... He brought back the Bible, threw it down on the table in front of the missionary and said, you can take back your book. The missionary asked, chief, why? What's wrong? The chief said, that book kicks. And that's why some people don't want to read the Bible. Because it seems like the sins of their heart get exposed. How can that be possible? Shakespeare wouldn't do such a thing. Hmm? The Bible does. Why? Because it's alive. Because its author is God. I'll give you another one. The Bible instructs in the proper way of life. Properly what is right and wrong. Have the writings of Shakespeare ever sobered up a drunkard? Why, here's a family here that was all destroyed because of sin and adultery and drugs and alcohol. And look, they're back together, strong and loving, all thanks to Shakespeare. Have you ever heard of a case like that? I haven't, but I can tell you many cases of people whose lives have been destroyed and they didn't know how to put them back together until they started reading the Bible. And the Bible sobered up so many alcoholics, straightened out so many drug addicts. The Bible cleansed hearts from sin and brought broken families back together. How was that possible? It's because the Bible is alive. How is that possible? It's because God is the author. We have to conclude from that one piece of evidence that the Bible could only be written by God. But wait, there's more. I give you one more irrefutable evidence. A second powerful proof that the Bible is the Word of God because the Bible cannot be destroyed. It cannot be destroyed. Now for this, I'd like you to turn to the left to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and I'd like you to read this with me. It's in Matthew chapter 24. Would you go there now, please? Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. It's a short little verse. So we'll all read it out together, okay? No hard words here. Verse number 35. Are you there? Matthew 24, 35. Read it out together with me now. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And here the Lord Jesus Himself, God in the flesh, is telling us the Word of God ain't going anywhere. It cannot be destroyed. 
Heaven can be destroyed. All of earth can be destroyed. We're in the process of destroying our earth, it seems. But the word of God cannot be destroyed. It's impossible. Because God is the author. That's why. Again, we could call in the Apostle Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24-25, it says, The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. The Bible cannot be destroyed. Other books can be destroyed and have been. Many other books that have been written are absolutely no longer available. If you wanted, you couldn't. You, with all the money in the world, you couldn't buy a copy of one of these books because they are lost without a single copy in existence. Other books have written about them. But those books themselves are gone. The ancient Greek poet Homer wrote his first poem. It was a comedy called Margaritas. It no longer exists. It's gone off the face of the earth. I mentioned Shakespeare. Shakespeare wrote a play called Cardenio. Cardenio has vanished from the earth. It cannot be found for love or money. In the Chinese Ming Dynasty, from 1300 to 1600 AD, the Yongle Encyclopedia has completely disappeared without a trace. But people, the Bible cannot be destroyed. God must be the author. Over thousands of years, some of the most powerful leaders have tried and tried to destroy the Bible, but they could not do it. There are more Bibles in print today than ever before in the earth's history. The Bible cannot be destroyed. In 100 BC, Antiochus IV burned all of the copies of the Bible he could find. And he found a lot of them. And he had the political power and clout and money to do it. And he scoured the world as he knew it and burned every copy of the Bible. And he not only burned them, he decreed death to anyone who owned the scriptures. And yet, Antiochus is long dead and the Bible has lived on. In 301 to 304 AD, the Roman emperor Diocletian hated the Bible. He hated the Bible and Christians. He hated the Bible so much that he seized, in the Roman emperor, he, in the empire, he seized all the copies of the Bible and he had them burned, and he erected a monument, and then he proclaimed the name Christian is now extinguished. And yet the very next emperor after him, Constantine, he ruled Christianity to be the state religion, and the Bible survived. Now ironically, 500 years after Diocletian's death, the huge mausoleum he had built for himself was turned into a church. In 1884, the American political leader, Robert G. Ingersoll, proclaimed these words, In 15 years, I will have the Bible put in the morgue. You know what a morgue is, right? A place where they put dead bodies. I will have the Bible put in a morgue in 15 years. Well, what happened? 15 years later, Robert Ingersoll was in the morgue. And the Bible lived on. During the 1950s, the Soviet government 
who, by the way, outlawed owning or studying the Bible. They built a majestic building in Kiev, Ukraine, to house the communist quarters, headquarters for that region. By 1994, that building was turned into one of the first Christian universities in the former Soviet Union, and in that building they taught the Bible. In a twist of fate, many people who set out to disprove and destroy the Bible ended up believing in it themselves. Lew Wallace lived from 1827 to 1905. He served as a writer, a Civil War general, a governor of the territory of New Mexico, which I visited, by the way, and U.S. ambassador to Turkey. And Lew Wallace was a known atheist. For two years, Wallace studied at the leading libraries in Europe seeking information for a book he was going to write that he believed would once and for all finally disprove the Bible and destroy Christianity. That was his goal. While writing the second chapter of his book, Wallace found himself on his knees praying to Jesus Christ. Because of the indisputable evidence that Wallace found, he was forced to admit the Bible was truly the Word of God. Later, Wallace went on to write another book entitled Ben-Hur, which was one of the greatest English novels ever written concerning the time of Christ. Simon Greenleaf was a chief founder of Harvard Law School back in 1817. He was no dummy, no slouch, and he referred to Christianity as a silly myth. He was challenged by his students to research the authenticity of what the Bible said about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Greenleaf took them up on their offer, and in doing so, he became a devout Christian. Albert Henry Ross was an English lawyer and a journalist and a skeptic of the Bible. Ross believed in Darwinism and he criticized the Bible. Ross started to write a book to disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But during his research, he became a Christian instead. Albert Ross went home to heaven in 1950. Two years later, in 1952... A man named Lee Strobel was born. He became an investigative journalist and an atheist. Strobel married and his wife later became a Christian and kept inviting Lee to come to church with her, but he would not go. Finally, Strobel hit upon a plan, an idea. He decided to apply all of his investigative skills to prove to his wife that the Bible was only man-made. But the more Strobel researched the Bible, the more he became unsure of his own position until he finally came to the conclusion that God must have written the Bible. Strobel became a Christian and later a pastor and he's still alive today. A simple internet search will list for you over 100 famous atheists and agnostics who all became Christians. Jesus, God in the flesh, said, 
Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The Bible cannot be destroyed. That is a most powerful and irrefutable argument for the authenticity of the Bible and its author, God. God wrote the Bible. I'm telling you, there's no other book like the Bible. Listen to me. The Bible will give you an honest, unbiased truth of earth's creation and history. The Bible will give you a glimpse into earth's coming future. The Bible will explain to you all about heaven and hell and salvation. The Bible will teach you how to get your prayers answered. The Bible will show you how to live a meaningful, victorious life with love, peace, and joy at its core. If you're not reading the Bible every day, why not? Why not? The author is God. By reading the Bible every day, God will give you wisdom and peace and joy and protection and ingenuity and creativity and a host of many other things. The Bible will change your life. In your church bulletin today, there's a little zip-off portion, a Bible reading guide for the month of August. If you would take that and start. Listen, we put one of those little guides every month. You do 12 of them and you've read the entire Bible through. You may never read the entire works of Shakespeare. In fact, I may never get through it myself. But you can read through the entire Bible. You will be so excited and so happy you did. You will have grown. God will have blessed you for it. It's a living book. It's God's book. There's no other book in the world like the Bible. And I'm asking you a question now. Will you commit to God in your heart that you will do the best you can to read the Bible every day? I don't mean to read all 66 books every day. I mean to read a portion of it. If you were to read about three chapters a day, or four chapters, you could easily have the entire Bible read through in a year. You could easily do that. You know, we have people connected with our church that read the Bible through a lot faster than in one year. Before COVID, we were handing out Bible reading certificates. And we were handing out some certificates to people who had read through the Bible a dozen times, two dozen times, three dozen times. Each time you read it, you get more wealth, more growth, more excitement. You get closer to God. There is no other book like the Bible because it's alive. It's not dead. It's absolutely alive. Now, if you want to get to know an author, one way to do it is to read what the author wrote. That'll give you some idea into the mind of the author, won't it? God wrote the Bible. Get to know God by reading his book. There's a story, I've mentioned it in times past, about a young lady who heard about a new book on the market. And so she went and bought herself a copy. She brought it home and she started to read it through. And she thought, why, this is kind of a dumb book. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And so she, she threw it in a box in the corner. About six months later, she was at a social gathering. She saw, saw a handsome 
young guy. They, today, I think they call them keepers, don't they? Some handsome hunk of a fellow. And so um, she said, hi there. And he said, well, hi. And uh, they got talking and she asked him, what, what do you do for work? He says, I'm an author. Oh, are you really? Well, what have you written? And he told her the title of the book she bought six months ago. You wrote that book. I own that book. She went home that night and she dug through the, the box and found the book. And she started to read the book now. And now the book had new meaning to her because she met the author. That may be one reason why someone here has trouble reading the Bible. Because you haven't met the author yet. The way you meet the author is through Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus knocks on our heart's door asking admission. We have to open our heart's door to receive Jesus. Jesus will come into your heart and life on one condition. Well, I say one, but it's a two-parter. He'll only come in as your Savior and as your Lord. Otherwise, He won't come in your heart. You'll never know Him, ever. Until you realize that your little bit of sin has effectively closed you off from ever getting to heaven because no sin can ever get to heaven. Now, right now, if you're thinking, well, pastor, you're wrong. I don't believe that. Everyone's a sinner. Tell me about it. I know that. And hey, I'm as good as the next guy. The problem is the next guy's on his way to hell too because he's committed sin. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God doesn't let sin into heaven. Listen, I'll tell you what. There are certain things I will not allow into my home. Is there anything that you would never allow into your home? Is there? Because I'll tell you, there are things God will not allow into His home. And the thing is sin. What kind of sin? Ever told a lie? That's a sin. Ever had an evil thought towards someone? That's a sin. Ever gone and broken your word? Oh, that's a sin. Ever wished somebody was dead? Oh, that's a sin. You see, there's a lot of sins we do with the mind and with the mouth. Hmm? Lots of them. Can't go to heaven. Effectively cut off. That's why God came to earth. His name was Jesus. And He died for our sins on the cross to be our Savior and if by faith you will acknowledge, you will admit to God that you are a sinner and cannot go to heaven, then you're just the person God is looking for. You see, when we think we're good enough, we're pretty good, you know, we're not that bad, God's not interested because we're full of pride. It's what we think. That's, that, that, that doesn't count, folks. It's what God knows. That's what counts. And God knows all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. In hell he lift up his eyes and on and on the scriptures are telling us of a reality of a place called hell. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if by faith you're here today and you've never repented of your sin and asked Jesus to forgive you and come into your heart to be your Savior, but to be your Lord, that means you have a new boss. 
Well, I'll take Jesus as Savior, but I don't want him as boss. He might ask me to do something that, you know, I'm not too keen about. He won't come in your heart. You will never get saved. He'll only come in as Savior and Lord. Then he'll come in happily. He'll clean up your life. He'll wash away your sin. He'll start building a mansion in heaven for you. He'll give you joy. He'll open your eyes to things. He'll take away the guilt, the burden, the fears of things to come. Oh, I tell you, the Lord Jesus is a wonderful Lord and wonderful Savior. My only regret is I didn't receive him sooner in my life. I wish I could have somehow have received him as my Savior as a child. But I got in almost through my teen years. I picked up a lot of scars. But I received him. He's knocking on heart's doors. Maybe he's knocking on yours today. Let's close our eyes and let's have a word of prayer. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.